We're on Hollywood Boulevard. We are. And uh, to those of you who listened last week to our post-Oscars recap, special thanks to friend of the podcast, Ken Hart, for joining. We had a blast. Um, and if you didn't listen to it, we recommend that you do. Uh, uh-huh. I think it was a highlight. It was uh, a good one. Sometimes the lowlights in the culture lead us to some of our own podcasting highlights. Um, but I know, at least on my end, what we're going to talk about uh, for this week, you know, I have some sunshine to, uh, to spread. You are spreading sunshine? I do it from time to time. Oh, my goodness. I, I was not oh expecting this. Oh, my goodness. This. My goodness. I was not expecting this. Tell me more. Um, okay. So now, while it's all feeling a little bit different, we are in the home stretch of our first post-COVID theater season. So we've got a couple of weeks left. The Broadway show openings are amping up again. And a couple of days ago, we saw Plaza Suite on Broadway at the Hudson Theater, a revival of a 50-plus-year-old show by my one of my favorites, uh, one of my personal writing heroes, Neil Simon. And this one, um, which was delayed from 2020, uh, stars Matthew Broderick and Sarah Jessica Parker. And so you are giving this two thumbs up? Yeah, or at least like one and a half thumbs up. Okay, because there liked are a it. lot of cranky critics out there talking about this. Well, movie. I think they come from two different directions, and I guess I might lean more towards one. Okay. Um, but, but, but here's my thing. Uh, the show itself is a triptych. It's three separate scenes that make up the full bill of the evening, and it's the same actors playing three different couples in different situations. Uh, it was originally two great stalwart, brilliant actors, Maureen Stapleton and George C. Scott, when mm-hmm. it opened on Broadway in like 68, and, and ran for like three and a half years or so. Uh, huge, huge hit. And it's a comedy and that includes some serious moments. The conceit is they all take place in the same suite at the Plaza Hotel, the very, very famous Fancy Pants Hotel landmark in, in New York City. Um, and so now it works as a period piece, I think I think what some people object to is we're just not used to seeing many frothy comedies on Broadway anymore because everything has to feel super high budget, dramatic, uh. topical, urgent, uh, or be a musical. Um, it's hard. <laughs> or be a musical. <laughs> it's hard to just have what they call a boulevard comedy um, that doesn't have some seemingly more social or dramatic payoff by play's end. Um, Can I, okay, I interrupt this review. You may. Because this has actually been on my mind. Oh, and like based on what? I don't know, but it just kind of like, I just started sort of like ruminating on this this past week in my spare time. Um, the, The idea that we used to like Broadway or theater, like a Neil Simon play, right? It used to be something that people would go out and that it would enjoy. You would, it would be a, a pleasant night at the theater. Right. And then I don't know what, when did theater become this thing where it had to, every piece of theater had to be a social movement. I, I mean, I think it's fairly recently, but I also think it's once Broadway tickets became astronomical. Really? 
I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you would think like at that point when you're paying, you know, shelling out like 500, 600 bucks a pop, like just like entertain me. Well, I think it all gets conflated. But Alyssa and I have had this conversation for a long time. Like there's nothing wrong with just going to see a show and being entertained. But when we talk about straight plays, somehow we feel like there has to be something more to it. And and I think that's because from the producer side, they're so prohibitive to mount that you, you really need to make it feel like it's worth the ticket buyer's money. And mm. people don't necessarily think that unless it's a star vehicle. Um, but but my thing, my, my and this goes back, I've written about this for 20 years. I don't care what it is as long as it's rich. Yeah. I don't care what the genre is. I don't, you know, like I don't care what the format is. What I don't want to see is something that's been done a hundred times before. I want it to be deep. I want it to be rich and it can be a comedy and it can be a romance and it can be a musical review and it can be something classical or it can be something modern. doesn't matter. I just want to know that, the talents I'm watching is in control and telling a worthy story. And right. plenty of comedies can be very worthy. Plenty right. of any genre can be worthy and rich. What we see a lot of now is slight. And sometimes you say because it hits a socio-political cultural note, it's important. Or because it has XYZ star, right. it's worthy. It does all get conflated. And it also depends on like, if you're listening to other people, tastemakers, if you will, do the talking like it depends like what twitter chat you hear it in or like you know like you have to consider the Mm. source because people come from from different not wholly objective angles right like like i mean i guess i would sort of say for that example like hillary and clinton right like that was so funny and and it and it did have something to say, but it didn't yeah, like whack you over the head with it. Right. It's a um, compact show. It was a compact show. But it had show. stuff to say, but it didn't tell you how important the show it was. Yeah. And, and it had wonderful actors. I mean, that was also, yeah. I guess, the star vehicle, like you were talking about, like, I guess, because you had celebrities. In but it, there's a right? difference, so. I think, between theater celebrities and household name celebrities. And while, yes, you can say, so Pamela that had a cast of, yeah. Yeah, well, sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you could say, yes, well, most people know who Laurie Metcalf and John Lithgow are, and they are brilliant, uh, truly transcendent actors, but I wouldn't necessarily say every household in every state could tell you their name. Whereas okay. I think that's a fairer assumption, say of Sarah, Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick. Um, so th- you know, okay. this could have easily floundered. Um, my thing is, the show is so good to begin with. It is mm-hmm. it, The three scenes are, uh, the first one involves a couple celebrating a milestone anniversary, returning to the same suite at the plaza where they celebrated their honeymoon. Again, these are set in the 60s. It has not been updated. Um, so now it works as a period piece because the costumes are now period costume and the dialogue is now period dialogue because the setups and the retorts and the rhythms are not the way people just speak now. They're not. Um, So it all 
it all takes a different shape. Uh, an actor is actually the director of this show, John Benjamin Hickey, um, oh, I don't who has worked with Hickey both of them before and uh, was recently in the the inheritance on broadway Mm -hmm. in the past has um won a tony for the normal heart he's also been in the the big cabaret revival uh i worked a good actor in his own right what's that i worked with him at hartford stage about a hundred thousand years ago you did yes he did oh wow Mm -hmm, while i was there yeah was he nice he was lovely oh well that's good to hear yeah um, so yeah, so we have three segments. The first one, it's this married couple whose marriage may be heading for some trouble. While it can get serious, it's predominantly very, very funny. Um, the second one involves uh, a high school boyfriend and girlfriend, like 17 or 18 years post-graduation and post-breakup. And Matthew Broderick plays the guy. He's turned out to be a very successful Hollywood producer and he returns to New York and, and his ex-girlfriend played by SJP who's now married with kids in Jersey comes to meet him. And it's kind of the dance they're doing around. Are they going to cheat? Are they going to hook up together? And then the third one is probably the most well-known of the three segments. Um, and they are the mother and father of the bride who on her wedding day at the plaza, the, the bride has locked herself in the bathroom because she's upset. And it's the shenanigans they go through to try and coax her out of the bathroom and figure out what's wrong. Um, and what's interesting to me is that I think Sarah Jessica Parker is at her best in the first one. And I think Matthew Broderick is at his best in the last one. Okay. But I think they're both good. And Matthew Broderick is doing his like droll I, kind I, of lazy seeming thing. I was, yeah. I was wondering is Matthew Broderick doing, cause like, honestly, I, that was the other thing I was thinking about when these reviews started rolling out. Right. I'm like, okay, is Matthew Broderick doing his Ferris Bueller thing? And has Matthew Broderick done anything of note beyond the producers after ferris <laughs> oh that's not fair I'm sorry. it's not wrong but it's not fair let I me okay so let it. me do this oh, i can do it's not wrong, but it's not fair <laughs> well okay i think he's really good in the film glory which was kind of a turning point for him film wise all right and he did win a second tony for the musical how to succeed uh the revival in 95 so even before the producers he was kind of already showing like new sides to what he can do in the last 20 years i've seen him do some things on and off broadway (sighs) they haven't been great he hasn't always remembered his lines um but i think some of the character work he's done in film notably the ken lonergan stuff like um Manchester by the Sea and Margaret, I think he's been good in. But these I have are... no idea who was in Manchester. So by like the he's sea. done some things. It. It's okay. a smallish part, but a smallish part in a three-hour movie. But what I also am not saying is post <laughs> or pre Ferris Bueller, he won a Tony for doing oh, Neil yeah. Simon's Brighton Beach memoirs. Brighton Beach, so he's yeah. got that in his arsenal, and he did the sequel Biloxi Blues when they did the film adaptation. He's in right, and he's right, good right. in both of those. So he gets how to deliver Neil Simon's setups and and punchlines, which all come from a character-driven place. He gets it. He can do it. Somehow, it fits. It, he okay. actually knows how to make it work. Um, and and Sarah Jessica Parker is good 
because she knows also how to do the whole setup punchline comedy thing. But she doesn't quite bring the the right energy for the period. So she's okay. doing the setup punchline like Carrie Bradshaw would do it in the 21st century. I hate to like equate star and and signature role, but that's kind of how kind she of does she everything. Like she is yeah. a smart person and she's a smart actress and she knows how to land lines. But I see her working as an actress and I don't necessarily see it all emanating from character. Like I can watch her and picture the way the great Maureen Stapleton may have done it. And it would have been a bit drier and it would have been a bit more mordant and it would have made a bit more sense the way each line comes through. And almost each line is just gold in, in each of these segments. So I think the people that may have been scratching their heads about this might just think, you know, like, we don't have a place for Neil Simon revivals. These types of comedies feel old and tired and it's not what I want to see. I mean, you either think that way or you don't, and I can't dispute it. Um, I just think almost every single, you know, comedic setup from the last 60 years is from people who somehow were fed Neil Simon along the way. Right. Um, but, but but I have to say that largely the whole thing does work. Whatever I've said about Sarah Jessica Parker is meant to be more than faint praise. It is still meant to be praise. She's actually still hitting all the marks and like it it's still in its own way a sharp performance. And she and Matthew Broderick work really, really well together. I think some people are going to see them not work, like to see a peak between what they might get out of the real marriage between them. I mean, I saw, I saw two professionals working really in sync. Um, And, you know, I really enjoyed it. Um, It's, they're not splitting the atom on stage, but I really liked it and thought that it's got to be among the better things I've seen on the Broadway stage, at least since the the doors reopened back in August or September. Um, so no, I was, I was very happy with it. And, you know, I think there's some clumsy blocking the, there's an invisible wall that's supposed to separate like the living area and the bedroom area of the uh, suite. And I think sometimes the way the characters run in and out, shouting to each other trying to get the door that sort of stuff gets tiresome and feels okay. awkward um but you know and you know the actors that have like more minor roles in each of the scenes i think they're good the costumes are great um so no i recommend it i i don't know exactly how long the show is supposed to run for probably sometime in the summer um neil simon revivals that aren't the odd couple don't typically have a great track record. They're very infrequently done at this point. And I would actually love for that to buck the trend. Um, I also want to say the Hudson Theater where this is playing is one of the newer theaters. I think it opened maybe eight or so seasons ago. Uh, And the sight lines there are better and the seats are better than a lot of other Broadway theaters, which helped. And Mm -hmm. they have this gorgeous uh, display of all of the window cards from Neil Simon's shows from start oh. to finish through his career in the lobby. That's actually a, a oh, pretty cool nice. thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the show works. I think the show is a great testament to the longevity of Neil Simon's humor. And um, I think those who who doubt would be pleasantly surprised uh, just how good. I don't think anyone 
doubts that SJP would be good. I think if you're going and you know who she is, you're going to be happy with her. Although there was a couple talking behind me the whole show who had to be told that they are married, which I thought was interesting. Um, there was also a couple sitting behind me during the show who were actively opening cans of soda and pouring it into the drinks that they had and then dropping their glasses during act two. And that was fun. Oh um, my God. And so, so bad yeah. behavior continues apace. Yeah. I guess, we were, getting, I guess we were getting some, some tourists there. Um, here's the thing that we've noticed about seeing live shows, whether it's theater or like comedy or concerts, most of these places still have the mask mandate. Mm-hmm. But the way you get around it is by just going to the bar. Right. So everywhere you look, people have like not even one, but like two or three drinks and all the food they can buy. (laughs) And they're opening everything and clinking everything throughout the show because that's like the, I mean, they'd probably be eating and drinking anyway, but, but it's also like the added incentive to get rid of the mask is to just purchase something at the bar and drink it through the show. I thought they weren't a lot of, I thought they weren't allowing the the food and drinks in the theater, but they no, they are. I don't think you can bring it in, but the bars are open. The bars are serving. Wow. That may have been a change from the way things originally were back in late summer, but I know that's been happening for the bulk of of my continuing to go to the theater. Jesus Christ. Well, glad things are going back to normal. So, yeah, that is a return to <laughs> a return before. to normal. Yes. <laughs> bad behavior at the theater but yeah but but good performance at the theater because i tipped my hat to plaza suite okay oh good i'm glad that you enjoyed it i did i was curious what you thought because so many critics were not digging it yeah you know i i just think they went in with their mind made up that this was something quote unquote we don't need um and i think there's a place for all if it's good yes um do you have anything? And I ask this because at one point you said you had something, but didn't remember before we started recording. So I am just curious if you remember. I think I did have something. And then I decided that I wanted to give it like, give it another episode or two, because I really thought that this was something that I was going to like, and I do like it sort of. Okay, so you're talking about a TV show, and I'm going to talk about a TV... Well, I'm presuming. But I also can talk about a TV thing that I'm watching, and I'm just wondering if it is the thing... Oh, it could it be the same thing? It's My guess is no. Because there's I'm, just so much. There's I just know, so there much. is so much. I'm talking about Pam and Tommy on Hulu. Oh, no, it's not the same thing at all. Oh. So keep watching and do it for me, because I'm never going to watch this, and I do uh, so he- want to hear what you think. Did you, didn't you watch The Dirt after I told you to watch it? Because that was just so good. Yeah, I did. You did. And it was. Okay. I need, I need another, yeah, I need another episode. I only watched one episode. Um, I will say this, Seth Rogen is wonderful. Okay. I will say that. that. And, And I think that, you know, so far, I think that the performances with Sebastian Stan and Lily James are quite good. Um... But there's a lot of what I wasn't expecting sort of like posturing and stereotyping, but I think it might be because we're experiencing 
Tommy Lee and Pamela Anderson kind of through the Seth Rogen character's eyes in the uh... first episode. And so my understanding is that like Tommy Lee and Pam, like right now I have zero sympathy for them. And I'm like, that sex tape, you got everything you deserved. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I've heard that like as the, sh- the series progresses, you, you begin to feel um you know more empathy towards more, them for yeah, what happened yeah. so so that's why like when i walked away from it, i was like the performances are good seth rogan is wonderful um i was totally rooting for him and i hated and i thought tommy lee was a giant dick um but now i'm sort of like and that kind of bugged me because after watching the dirt i thought he was not a dick he was just kind of a, a man child you know what I mean like he was just right. kind of a partier and he was a little mm-hmm. bit wild you know yeah. and this he's just like that sort of stereotypical this first episode he's like that stereotypical Hollywood douchebag right where he's just right. like you know he's right. he throws his weight around and his money around and his celebrity around and isn't paying the contractors and is just being this giant dick and um and I thought that he was a little bit more I guess fun and like congenial than that and I was a little like oh um, but like I said, like apparently you get more because I was like, I can't watch all of these episodes if I don't like the people who like yeah. Pam and Tommy, like, and I don't, I, I don't like them right now. Um, but, but like, but I need to like keep going so I can. Yeah. Say yeah. Come sure. back when you've got a yeah. more informed opinion. I will. So what do you have? What's your TV well, thing? I wanted to talk about a different Hulu thing, which is the dropout. About Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, uh, oh, with Amanda Seyfried. Yes, what I was, I I've been eyeing that. Uh, well, I'll definitely give it a recommend. So I think maybe there's two episodes left. I think we just had episode seven last week, so episode eight will have probably dropped around the time you're listening to this, and there may only be one more beyond that. Um, Alyssa is obsessed with this, so she is like an expert uh, at this point, and um she has read the book and she has seen the documentary once with me, once without me. And so now we're watching this together. Um, the story is, is really interesting. And I think they are, I think they are largely following it the way she's written about in the book. Alyssa makes a really interesting point, which is basically the thesis is she was always lying. She was always scamming. She was always doing things wrong from the beginning. And her take is that she probably just always believed that she could get to the point where her company was delivering on its promise and would do whatever it took and take as much time as it took to get there. Okay. Um, a kind of like very uh, privileged, coddled sort of obsession. Uh, either way, cast is great the cast is amazing amanda seyfried i think is doing terrific work um a you know a bunch of like supporting players naveen andrews from lost as her boyfriend is is great um laurie metcalf pops up though not as much as i'd like uh william h macy is in i mean there's like one great actor after another Stephen fry is terrific in it um yeah and and it's there are sam waterston there are older veterans that are doing good work Michael and making Ironside, every scene count and then even on the younger side like the actors that they have cast to play like younger employees of theranos all doing a uh, a really good job oh 
Yeah, I was kind of on the fence about it because I, I, you know, I, I was following her story a bit. And then I, but I just was like, I don't know if I want to deal with this, but maybe I will give this a shot. I didn't realize that the cast was so good. Yeah, I think um, if if you have like a couple voids to fill for like the rest of the season, I would say this is one to put in there. All right, cool. But also, I don't know if I ever talked about something else which is done, but is still on HBO Max. And if I didn't do a shout out, I have to do it now. I'm remiss that I didn't do it before. And if I did talk about this show before, then it's worth repeating because it's a genre show and it's not going to get the love it deserves. I'm talking about Peacemaker with John Cena on HBO Max. Oh, is that good? It's awesome. Because the few things that I've seen John Cena in, he has been so god-awful that when I saw that, I was like, oh, hell no. It all works. And we saw the Suicide Squad movie that his character was introduced in. Um, and, I mean, like we didn't think the movie itself was much to write home about. We were like, let's give the show a try. Uh, it was such a highlight to then look forward to. I think it's great. It all works. I think it is pretty cleverly uh, crafted, I think, structurally. The cast is also terrific. The lesser known some of them than the ones we were mentioning with the dropout um it's fun it's like if you grew up liking hair metal or comic stuff i think it appeals to you uh it has the best opening credit sequence i think of the year uh it's a lot of fun and i think it's eight episodes that are about 40 43 minutes each or something um that one is that's a high recommend Interesting. Okay. And I thought John Cena was good. Okay. So whatever Maybe whatever he was then. doing before, I I'm gonna say he's probably not doing here because I really dug it. Huh. All right. Maybe I will give it a shot then. Yeah, and I guess give it at least two episodes. And if you're not feeling it by episode two, then don't bother because life is short. Okay. But um <laughs> But I but I I mean I have a feeling you might like it. Okay. It's the kind of show that will never get talked about in awards conversations and really should. Also, though, and this may be different, I feel like we went into Peacemaker the way we went into watching The Boys, which was kind of like, eh, we'll give it a shot. We don't know. And then embracing it wholeheartedly. So... I love. I feel like if you love The Boys, I know you do. uh, This might be how you feel about Peacemaker. Okay. Maybe I will give it a shot then. If you're if you're comparing it as favorably to the boys, then I think that I will have to try it because I did so love the boys. That's it. You have to. I did so love it's the boys. It's not you should. You have to. I have to. And I think I have to go to bed. Okay. Do you have do you have anything else? No, I will return next week with more Broadway stuff to talk about, uh, and probably other some some other TV stuff to to drop in as well but i think for now i think we're good because karen yeah. needs to go to bed karen needs to go to bed i am thinking i might have a few more tv stuff maybe next week so cool yeah so we'll see if, if any of it align you guys we try not to plan it we don't sometimes even know until we're recording what we're talking about whether it's going to be the same or not which yeah, is a happen- fun which is a fun uh, little reveal 
Yeah, and half the time I forget what I'm going to talk about anyway, and I'm just like, Doug, I don't remember you just talk. Well, I, I've i already diagnosed my myself with COVID brain. Like, I clearly, like, do not have the memory I used to have two years ago. I just think I have too much shit packed in there at this point. I'm old But I used to. to be able to reach, like, the inner recesses of my shit, and now it's just all there. I mean, like, it's there and I can't access it. <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's like behind locked doors. Yeah, yeah, I lost the key. Yeah. COVID lost the key. All right. Well, I'm going right. to go to bed. You guys, thank you for hopping on the boulevard with us. We hope you're well. And we'll be back again next week with more culture for you on the boulevard. Take care. Bye. <laughs>